Welcome to the Harbor Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoyed today's message. For more information, visit us online at www.theharborli.com. Amazing night. We're going to talk about leadership tonight. Leadership. Now, when, when you hear the word leadership, there may be some people in here that you're like, oh, who's that for? Because that's not me. I don't feel like I'm called to leadership. Well, listen, if you are a child of God, if you're somebody who's given your life to God, let me settle the case for you. You are called to be a leader, that you are a holy people, that you are a royal priesthood, that you are chosen by God to help lead people to God. And so God, God's people are not called to be the tail. They're called to be the head. They're called to be led by God so that they can help lead other people. So you may think that you're just living your life. You are called to live a life of influence. You are called to live a life that points people to Jesus, that brings hope and peace to people who need it. And so don't think that, that you're just in charge of what you see you are actually called to have such a bigger impact than what maybe you have just accepted to be your life. And so I, I've entitled this talk tonight on leadership, All the Feels. Turn to your neighbor and say, All the Feels. All the Feels. Remember, like that, that's, that's kind of weird. That's a weird thing to say. We're talking about feelings tonight, okay? We are talking about feelings in the context of leadership. What, one of the most important qualities of a leader is your ability to sense and feel. Your ability to have a, a climate, for you to recognize the situation, for you to recognize the atmosphere, for you to recognize the environment. If you are going to be an effective, godly leader, you have to protect your ability to first sense and feel God, which then in turn will protect your ability to sense and feel others around you to sense and feel how people are doing, that you are called to lead, that you are called to witness to, that you are called to, to speak to and bring life to and bring encouragement to. Satan would love nothing more than for you to lose your ability to sense and feel the people around you. And the way that he attacks that is first with your ability to sense and feel and hear from God. Paul speaks about this in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17. He says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. Gentiles were people who didn't give their life to God, who did not believe in God. So he's saying you shouldn't walk and talk and act and reason like people who don't believe in God. They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to their hardness of heart. Say hardness of heart. They have become callous and have given themselves up to sensuality, greedy to practice every kind of impurity. But that is not the way that you learn Christ, assuming that you have heard about him and were taught in him as the truth is in Jesus. To put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Paul is saying that, that people who don't believe in God, there is a hardness of heart, and he uses this word callous. Now, this specific word uh, in, in this original language is speaking uh, to losing the ability to feel pain or grief, to become apathetic, showing or feeling no interest, enthusiasm, or concern. But, but I love the, the mental picture if you think of a physical callous. A physical callus is an area of thickened skin that forms as a response to repeated friction, pressure, and other irritation. 
a callous heart. A callous heart. Isn't it so funny that, that what Paul is comparing and contrasting is, is first people who've accepted God as their Savior and people who haven't. But then he's comparing and contrasting the old you versus the new you that is in Christ that is actually created in the likeness of God. And so the likeness of God is being able to feel, being able to sense. <clears throat> Isn't it safe to say that it would have been a much easier route for God if he allowed his heart to become callous towards creation and started over. God, God knew what was going to happen before he ever created humanity. He could see the future. It would have been way easier for God to say, you know what, I'm not going to subject myself to this any longer. I, I know how this is going to work out. I know how this is going to end, so why would I do that to myself? I'm, you know what, I'm, I'm going to go with plan B. We're going we're gonna to do something else. But, but the likeness of God is allowing yourself to continue to sense and feel people around you. Even when it hurts, even when it's painful, when it's good and when it's bad. And so Paul is saying people who don't believe in God, there, there's, a, there's an ignorance, there's a hardness of heart, there's this, this callous spirit where there's just this apathetic, you know, maybe sometimes it's, it's through the lens of being self-centered so it's so hard to be aware of anybody else around you. Or maybe sometimes it's a defense mechanism that you have allowed this, this layer of, of, of skin, this layer of, of, of stone to build up around your heart or your soul because you've been hurt so many times you just can't let yourself get hurt again. So it's easier just to turn the emotion off, turn the feeling off, turn, turn your ability to sense off because you're just guarding your heart from more pain. But he's saying to be created in the likeness of God, you have a new heart with new flesh. You think in a new way. You're created in the likeness of God. Satan would love nothing more than for you to become numb to the state of your marriage. He would love nothing more than for you to lose the ability to sense when something's off with your kids. He would love nothing more than for you to just become callous with the people that you work with, that you just view it as I come in and I do a nine to five, I, 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 I punch my card and then I'm out and then I go home and then I hang out with my Christian friends or I go do my Christian thing. He wants you to be callous. He wants you to have a hard heart to, to think that you're just living for you and that you're not called to leadership. You're not called to lead other people. But Paul is saying this new walk in him, you being renewed in the image of Christ means that you protect this ability to sense and to feel God. And whenever you can sense and you can feel God and you can begin to see what moves his heart and what motivates him and what pains him and what brings him joy, that will in turn affect what brings your heart grief and pain and burden and passion and joy. Any effective leader will fight fiercely to protect their heart from becoming calloused. Their heart from becoming hard because you recognize and you know that if I'm going to be an effective leader, I have to protect this. We talked about this a, a couple months ago, but when Jesus is put on the spot and asked, hey, what are the most important things we can do? The two things that he answers with, he says, love the Lord your God and love your neighbor as yourself. And it's not coincidence that Jesus follows one with the other. Because it's, it's through you loving God well that you, in turn, learn to love others well. It's through you protecting your ability to hear from God that you're able to know what to do with your friends. That you're able to know how to raise your kids. That you're, you're able to know how to love your wife or your spouse better. My relationship with God, the fruit of that is being able to have the relationship that I'm supposed to with the people that I'm surrounded with. You know, you, you go through seasons of life where things happen and, and maybe you're like, I don't know how to love this person anymore. 
I, I don't know how to act around this person anymore. There is so much stuff that has occurred. There are so many things that have happened. I don't know if I should be laying down the law. I don't know if I should be showing grace. I don't know if I should just be turning my back. I just don't know what to do anymore. Well, this is what's amazing for the believers that you've been given the Holy Spirit who lives inside of you. And so if you can just protect your ability to hear and to sense and to feel God, this is the beauty. God loves that person more than you do. God wants to see that person healthy more than you do. God wants to see that person free more than you do. It could be your spouse. God loves your wife more than you. God loves your kids more than you. God loves those coworkers more than you. Some of you, that's really easy to believe. But God loves people in your life more than you do. And so when you get to the point where you're just like, I don't know what to do anymore. Well, the good news is just love God. Just protect that ability to hear from God, and he will show you what to do. He will show you how to show love. He will show you when to show grace. He will show you when to take a stance, when to put your foot down. He will help navigate you through this life that he has called you to walk. But you have to protect this ability to sense of it. Life will beat you up. Life has a way of repeatedly throwing friction your way, repeatedly throwing pain your way, repeatedly throwing all these things that if you're not careful and if you're not intentional about protecting yourself, you will, your heart will become hardened towards people. Your heart will become hardened towards God. And you will live such a closed-off life. You have to be intentional about saying, let me protect this new heart that God has given me. There's a, there's a king in the Bible named King David that we, we talk about a lot. You've heard me preach about so many different times. But there was a king that preceded King David who was actually the first king of God's people. His name was King Saul. Now, <clears throat> at this time in, in biblical times, God's people wanted a king because they saw that every other nation had a king. And so for them, just having a God that they don't see wasn't satisfying enough, so they were begging for a king. So God said, okay, if you want a king, I'll give you a king. So God spoke to the prophet that time named Samuel. Now, a prophet back then was the, the, the mouthpiece for God. This was the guy who, who was so close with God, he would hear from God. And then he would relay what God was speaking to the people. And so God spoke to Samuel and he said, I've picked out a king for my people. His name is Saul. He pointed him out. He gave Samuel strict instructions of what to do to let Saul know you're going to be king over God's people. And, and it was incredible. I mean, it, he laid out this whole story. This is what's going to happen. You're going to find yourself in this situation. You're going to meet these people. This is how you're going to know it's from God. This is what you're supposed to say. This is what you're supposed to do. And when Saul left that place, it happened exactly how the prophet had prophesied. And so Saul knew, knew that God was calling him to be king. This all happened on this, this place called Gilgal. And, and you start to read about in, in 1 Samuel chapter 10 how when Saul was following the instructions that the prophet had given to him, which came from the Lord, that this thing happened in Saul where it says that God literally gave Saul a new heart. He changed something inside of Saul. Now, now, God recognized something in Saul from the beginning because he chose him to be king, but God then, that wasn't good enough. God gave him a new heart. And so many years passed by. It, it's not specified in the Bible. Many people believe it's between like 30 and 50 years passed by because you see that Saul's a young man when he's anointed as king. And when you pick up in chapter 13, which is only three chapters later, he has a son old enough to be a commander in the army. So a lot of people think it's right around 40 years have passed. He's been king over Israel, been through so many battles, been through so many wars, fended off so many enemies. You would think that Saul at this point would really have an understanding of how this thing works. 
See, God had this whole plan arranged where he had the king leading the people, but the prophet would hear from God, and the prophet would instruct the king what to do and where to go and when to do it. So as God was speaking to the prophet, he was ultimately leading the king who was leading the people. Now, they had this, this ritual in place that if they were going to go to battle, that the king would wait for the prophet to come. The prophet would make a sacrifice and a burnt offering before the Lord, which would honor God. God would speak to the prophet, give him direction. It would be relayed to the king before the king would take God's people into battle. But you start to read about this, this particular time, about 40 years after Saul is anointed king. He's been king for 40 years. You see that, that Israel's number one enemy, the Philistines, they gather together. It says there are so many men. It's like the sand on the seashore. It's like th- over 30,000 men, thousands of chariots. These, this huge army got together to attack God's people. And you pick up in 1 Samuel 13, verse 8. It says that Saul waited seven days, the time appointed by Samuel, but Samuel did not come to Gilgal, the same place where Saul was anointed as king. You see the story unfold. And the people were scattering from Saul. So Saul said, bring the burnt offering here to me and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. As soon as he had finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and greet him. Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, well, when I saw that the people were scattering from me and that you did not come within the days appointed and that the Philistines had mustered a mic-match, I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not sought the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself, and I offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you have done foolishly. You have not kept the command of the Lord your God with which he commanded you. For then the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever. But now your kingdom shall not continue. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And the Lord has commanded him to be prince over his people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. You would think after 40 years Saul would have this down. Would understand that this is what God has established to lead his people the way that he wants. But Saul does it his own way. He makes a decision under some really tough circumstances. He makes a decision to do his own thing, to rely on his own understanding, his own will, and he disobeys God. Now the punishment, this prophet says is God's going to raise up a new king. And the contrast between Saul and this new king is that the new king is going to have a heart after God's. I would imagine that those would be pretty painful words from the man who received a new heart from God 40 years prior. I would imagine that that hit to the core, that that, that may have woke him up for a minute when, when he realized that I was chosen to be the king over Israel and God gave me a new heart and God entrusted me with his people and now he needs to go find a new king that's going to have a heart after his own. Isn't it so funny that this whole thing occurred in the same exact location? Isn't it so funny that he still had the same spiritual authority, Samuel? The, the thing that changed between those 40 years is Saul's heart. Even though God gave him a new heart, he obviously did not protect it. He obviously did not cherish what God had done in him enough to protect that, to protect his ability to sense and to feel and to hear from God. You know, life happens. Time happens. Most people don't wake up and say, you know what? I'm not going to listen to God anymore. You know what? I don't believe this. Most people, it's a series of events. It's it's time that passes. It's life that occurs that if you're not intentional about remaining close with God, intimate with God, that life will just slowly pull you away from him. 
that if you're not making every effort to tune your ears and your heart and your soul into what he's trying to communicate with you, that you'll start listening to everything else, that you'll be distracted by everything else. So I want to I wanna speak to you tonight. I just want to give you a few things. And I want to compare and contrast what a callous leader looks like as opposed to an effective leader. Because I believe that God's desire for every person in here is for your story not to end like Saul, but your, your story to be like David. And David did not live a life of perfection. If you read about David, and we talk about it all the time, David made some of the worst mistakes that you could ever make. But what defined David's life is that he was always a man after God's own heart. That I want that to be my story. I want that to be my legacy. God, you don't need to look for any other leader. You don't need to look for any other person to reach my family or my friend group. You don't need to look for somebody else to influence my kids or to speak into my marriage. I want to be so in tune with you that you speak right to me and I can lead the people that you've entrusted me with. Let me give you these few things. The first thing I want you to write down is this. A callous leader becomes so familiar with what they do that they lose sight of why they do it. A callous leader will become so familiar with what they do that they lose sight of why they do it. Saul was viewing this whole thing, this whole sacrifice as a ritual. Something that they needed to do. Uh, Forty years had gone by and he obviously had lost the whole meaning of you're literally dependent on God. And he just viewed it as something that needed to occur before they went to battle. When in turn, this is actually the structure that God had put in place. These were the guidelines when God anointed him as king and entrusted his people to Saul that God had established in order for God to lead his people where he wanted them to go. Saul began to look at it as a requirement, and he stopped looking at it as something that he needed. Saul began to view this walk with God thing as something he did, not something he really needed. There's a big difference between you viewing church, Christianity, your walk with God as something you do and not something you are. As something you do and not something that you need. If we're not careful, we can totally fall into this trap of doing the right things but completely losing perspective on why we're doing it. And when you fall into that trap, the power of doing the right thing is lost. The effect on your life that should be happening from you doing the right things is lost. Because you've completely lost sight of why you do it. I want to speak really bluntly. I did this on Sunday. We, we celebrated Father's Day. And, and I know there's probably a lot of fathers in the room, a lot of husbands in the room. Just because you take your family to church does not mean that you're leading them spiritually. Just because you take your wife or your spouse to church does not mean that you're leading them spiritually. Just because you're doing what you see other people do or you're doing what you should be doing does not mean that you're actually walking out the call that God has on your life. Now, don't get me wrong. Coming to church is awesome, and that's a great start, and you should continue to do that, but it doesn't end there. That does not encompass your responsibility and the calling that God has on your life. But it's so easy to just fall into this trap and this ritual of, all right, we'll go, to, we'll go to church, and then when I want to be really spiritual, I'll attend a connect group, or I'll attend something midweek. Maybe I'll hit a Sunday and a Tuesday because I really need God to, to bring some breakthrough in this situation. Attending church and, and doing the right things. You can be around the things of God without actually recognizing that you need God. 
You can spend time in church. You can spend time around other Christians and not come to the realization that you need God to lead you for you and not for anybody else. Not so that somebody's like, hey, have you been in church? Or so that you don't feel guilty because you missed a week. No, no, no. It, it takes the person getting to the point to say, God, I need you. If Saul could have just protected the ability to say, God, where would I be without? I would not even be in this position if it wasn't for you. I didn't ask for this. You called me to this. Why would I go my own way? Why would I do what I think is right? You placed me here. You gave me these instructions. So, God, I will wait on you. It's not about doing the offering. It's about recognizing that I will not move forward unless I have God's blessing. I will not move forward if God is not with me. You can't lead somebody where you have not been yourself. Too many Christians, you're trying to bring somebody else where you haven't already gone. You're so preoccupied on somebody else's influence or position and how God is using them, and you want that so bad, and you want the influence so bad, you haven't gone where he wants you to lead them yourself. So he can't have you as a tour guide. He can't have you leading anybody else if you're not willing to go there on your own. It's not just about what you do. It's about why you do it. An effective leader is not just in tune with who they're leading, but they prioritize being in tune with who is leading them. An effective leader is not just concentrating on their influence, but their, their priority is, God, I need you. Whether I have influence or I don't, whether there's someone in my life who I'm leading or mentoring right now or not, whether I'm discipling someone or not, God, I need you. I can never lead somebody the rest of my life. I still need you. I'm nothing without you. I can't go anywhere without you. An effective leader who God can use and God can speak through is somebody who always prioritizes being close with God themselves. And that's the very thing that ended up costing Saul the kingship. Samuel, Samuel said, God would have established your kingdom forever if you could have just protected your ability to stay close to God, for you to feel God, for you to hear God, for you to sense God. But because you've allowed your heart to become callous, because you've allowed yourself to become numb to the things of God, and it's become a ritual, it's become something that you do, now the new king who's taken over, he's going to have a heart for God. If you want to be an effective leader, if you want to be used by God, you have to prioritize being in tune with the one who's leading you. Second thing is this, a callous leader makes decisions based on what they see, not the God they know. A callous leader will make decisions based on what they see, not the God they know. Saul was acting out of fear, or he was reacting out of fear. This is the crazy thing. You see that Saul grew callous to God, but Saul did not grow callous to the fear of men. Saul did not grow callous to the fear of life. Fear is never going to leave you. Stress is always going to be around you. Struggle is always going to come your way. You're like, wow, this is encouraging. No, I'm being real. This is life. You're not going to live a stress-free life. You're not going to live a problem-free life. Nobody does. And if anyone were to say that to you, I wouldn't trust them. The reality is life is going to be tough. It's easy to look at somebody in the Bible and have 2020 uh, vision and be like, wow, he really screwed it up. I wouldn't have done that. 40 years, I would have been the best king there ever was. Let, I mean, let's put this in perspective for a second. If there's anybody in here who you've had 30,000 soldiers come knocking at your door and say, we're going to kill your whole family, and you handled it in a godly way, I'd love to meet you afterwards and get your autograph, take a picture with you. 
You know, the things that knock us off balance are nothing compared to having, being in charge of a nation, being in charge of families, being in charge of children, being entrusted with, with marriages. And you have an enemy this big saying, we're going to kill, we're going to slaughter all of you. I mean, Paul, or Saul was under crazy pressure. So it's easy to knock him, but, but if you put yourself in your shoes, you would be wrestling with the same struggle that he was. I mean, how many times are we facing difficulties in life and we're like Saul, man, I really thought you'd be here by now, God. Uh, you know what, your, your, your word says that you're never going to fail me and you, it looks like you're failing me because I, I, I prayed for this a week ago and nothing has changed. I prayed for this a year ago and I thought you said that it would happen by now and it hasn't happened, so maybe you're not real. Maybe, I mean, this is what Saul was going through. Saul was saying, well, the prophet is supposed to be here by now. If he's not here, he's under all this pressure from seeing the enemy advancing. So what he ends up doing he realizes, you know what, I've been, I've been doing this for 40 years. I've fought a lot of battles. I think I know. I've seen, I've seen what Samuel does. I, I, I've witnessed how other kings fight battles. I think I can do this. All right, bring it to me. Bring it to me, and, 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 and I'm going to do it. See, what he was doing was he was making a decision based on what he saw, not based on the God that he knew. Because if he was making a decision based on the God that he knew, he would have said, God has never failed us yet. God has never left us high and dry yet. God put me in this position to lead these people, and he has protected us. He has provided for us. He's been there every step of the way. So why, after 40 years, would he stop doing that now? But I believe somewhere along the way, he started to allow the God thing to be Samuel's thing and the king thing to be his thing, the influence thing to be his thing, the close relationship thing. The prophet can handle that. I'll handle the people. And so he allowed this distance, he allowed this, this callousness to form on his heart. You know, whether you have a family, whether you have a marriage, whether you have, maybe it's in your workplace, wherever it is that, that, that you have influence, you're, you're making decisions and, and you have responsibility. There are times in life where you feel so burdened, you feel so overcome with the weight of the things that are on your plate. Maybe it has nothing to do with decisions that work, but it's family decisions. Maybe you're a young person, and you may not think that you have influence yet, but your family is falling apart around you, and there's responsibilities that are falling on your shoulders that should never fall on the shoulders of someone your age or in your position. But all of a sudden, you have all the weight of the world crushing down on your shoulders, and it would be too easy to just make a decision, to take action, to react based on what you see and based on what you feel. But that's not what an effective leader does. An effective leader understands that God alone knows it all, so it would be foolish to make a decision based just on what I see. An effective leader, someone who's in tune with God, somebody who's made it a priority to stay close with God, has that supernatural ability to see. Maybe you've had the blessing of watching somebody else walk through it. You've seen a testimony of how somebody else has handled the worst circumstance and situation. You say, man, I definitely wouldn't have handled that well. And that person just had this ability to keep their eyes on God. And, and even when things looked terrible around them, even when things were falling apart around them, there was just this steadfastness that they just kept pursuing God. Because they, they weren't going to make a decision based on what they saw or what they felt at the moment. They realized, God, you love me. God, you're for me. God, you're not going to quit on me. You're not going to leave me. And you're the only one who sees the whole picture. You're the only one who sees the big picture. So why would I make a decision and leave you out of it? Why would I lean on my own understanding? Why would I lean on my own experience? Guys, 
this, this, this is home for me. There, there's something as a guy that I want to fix it. I, I, I want to be the solution, especially if it's something to do with my wife or my kids or my family or something that's under my care. It's easy for me to be like, well, this happened while I was in charge or well, well, you placed me here, so I, I, I need to fix this. I need to do something. I, can't, I don't have time to wait. I don't have time to ask God and wait for an answer and then try to decide. I, I, I just gotta, there's something that rises up in me as a guy that I just want to fix it. But a godly dad, a godly husband, a godly boyfriend, a godly leader doesn't just say, hey, let me, let me take the responsibility, make the decision. But an effective one says, God is the one who's leading me, and so I'm not going anywhere until I know where he wants me to go. I'm not going to spend a lifetime cleaning up where I've gone. I'm just going to wait and be sure that I know that God is pointing me in this direction. You may think that you're protecting and that you're providing and that you're leading your family, but the only way to truly protect, provide, and to lead them is for you to be protected, provided for, and led by God. That's the safest hands your family could be in is when you've placed your life and your leadership and your influence in the hands of God. This last thing as we call the band out, we begin to to transition, is that a callous leader seeks the company of men more than the company of God. A callous leader will, will, will seek the company of others, people around them, pleasing people more than they will pleasing God. Be more worried about who they surround themselves with than surrounding themselves with God. Isn't it so telling that, that Saul is waiting for the prophet? He's waiting to do things God's way, but the moment that people start to leave him, he's rushed to make a decision. The straw that broke the camel's back was when his soldiers started to leave him. So what that says is that he cared more about people being with him than God. A godly leader would have said, it doesn't matter how many of you go. Like, yeah, I'm about to face 30,000, so it would help if you stuck around. But you're not the one who's going to fight the Jack, you're not the one who's going to fight the battle. Joe, I've seen you swing a sword. You're not going to help. Sorry for any Joes in here. I'm sure you're, I'm sure you're mean with a double-edged sword. But in all seriousness, a godly leader so in tune with God would have recognized, man, God is the only one who could get us through this. God is the only one that could make a way when literally it seems like we're all about to die. And so I'd appreciate if you stuck around, but if you don't, it's all right. I'm waiting for God. I'm not going anywhere without God. See, a callous leader will, will always prioritize people around them more than spending time and, and keeping company with God. A callous leader will will care more about looking for people that they can influence rather than putting themselves in a position where they can be influenced by godly people or by God himself. Saul must have been taking note over those 40 years of how other kings went to war. I'm sure at some point he said, man, these guys don't make burnt offerings. These guys don't have to wait on a prophet. These guys, they just make the decision, they go for it. You, you best believe that if all these men were gathered against the people of Israel... Saul had people chirping in his ear. What are we doing, Saul? Saul, what are we doing? Saul, it's been seven days. Saul, Samuel should have been here. Maybe, maybe Samuel's not coming. And I'm sure he was put in a position where he was like, I could either please the people or I could wait on God. And at some point, his heart just misled him to pleasing people, to caring more about the company of men than the company of God. 
But an effective leader pursues the heart of God over the desires of their own heart. An effective leader doesn't stick their head in the sand and act like they just have complete holy intentions 24-7. I believe that a strong leader says, God, I do want these things. And maybe sometimes you don't even know if it's you wanting it or if God put that desire in there. You could acknowledge it and say, God, this is what's on my heart. God, this is what I want. Maybe it's you, maybe it's me. I don't know. But you know what? It doesn't matter at the end of the day because more than any of my desires, I desire you. I mean, when's the last time that, that we've come before God not for something that we need? Not for him to come through. Not for a blessing, not for a provision. When's the last time that we were like, God, I just want you. God, what, what, what's going to happen is going to happen. God, you haven't let me down. You haven't failed me yet. I just want you. I desire you more than anything. An effective leader, a leader that God can use, is a leader that is after God's own heart, not after the desires of his own. David was anointed king, not because he was perfect, not because he was going to make all the right decisions. God must have known what David was going to walk through, the things that was going to happen in David's life, but what qualified David was just this idea that he had a heart for God. He had a heart pointed towards God. If you want to begin to walk out the life that God has ordained for you, that God created for you, you, you may think, you may be here tonight, and you may just think that you, you happened. You know, your parents got together, and you, the, the lotto hit, and it happened to be you. But you know, the Bible says that God formed you in your mother's womb. That God chose you. That you're not an accident. You're not a coincidence. You're not just science. But God chose you. That God formed you. That God has a specific plan for your life that's different from the plan he has for my life or Ben's life or Matt's life or Sarah's life. For your life. That there's a path that he's laid out for you. That you're not only going to walk closely with him and have intimacy with your creator, but you're going to be used by him. That your life will count for something so much bigger than you could ever get on your own. That your life could literally have eternal value. That you don't just live for financial security, for retirement, for a 401k, or for a beach house somewhere. But your life can have eternal value. That when you die, when you're dead and gone, when all your riches and your possessions are dead and gone, that your life counted for something. But you're only going to walk that life out. You're only going to be able to stick to that. If your heart is, God, I need all the feels. God, you got to protect my heart. God, I'm going to make the daily decision that I don't want my heart to be hardened. I don't want my heart to grow callous towards you. God, I don't want to make decisions based on what I see. God, I don't want to prioritize people over you. But God, I need you. I need you today. I need you right now. I need you in this circumstance. I need you today at work. I need you when I get home with my family around that dinner table. God, I need you. If your heart can be pointed towards God, your life will blow away your wildest dreams. You will have a peace and a fulfillment and a satisfaction that you can't even dream of because you are walking in the will of God. You are walking in the plan that was predestined for you before you were ever born. The plan that you were created specifically for. 
I want to ask you to stand up as we begin to transition back into worship. You know, God has this amazing promise for his people. In Ezekiel 36, he says, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, and I will give you a heart of flesh. There may be people in this room that, that as we're talking tonight, you have recognized that, you know what, I think I've lost my ability a little bit to sense and feel from my kids, sense and feel from my wife or my husband, to sense and feel from my friends. I think I've lost my ability to, to gauge the atmosphere when I'm around people, and I've, maybe I've become so self-centered, it's become all about me that I've lost sight of the people around me, or, or maybe I've been hurt so many times, I've just allowed myself to get so guarded that, that I don't even want to go there. Maybe tonight the Holy Spirit has just been saying, this is for you. This is for you. God promises, man, if you come to him and you say, God, rip away the callus. Rip away the dead areas. Rip away the walls that I've put up. Rip away the defense mechanism that I've allowed to be built up inside so that I don't get hurt. And let me be raw to you. Let me be sensitive to people. Let me hear things. Let me sense things. Let me feel things. Let me be so aware of the people that I'm surrounded with. Tomorrow morning when I get to work, when I walk into class, to when I wake up and I spend time with my family, God, let me be so in tune with not just you but with them, with where they're at. God, if there's encouragement that I could bring, if there's strength that I could bring, if there's peace that I could bring into a situation, God, let me see it, let me sense it, let me feel it. We, we have a prayer team along the back. and As we start worship, if, if you need prayer for anything we talked about tonight, if there's something else maybe that's weighing on your heart, we got a team that would love to pray with you. As soon as we start this song, you can make your way back, and they'd love to just hear you out, pray with you, and encourage you. But if you're here tonight, and you're just like, man, my desire is that I never get to the point where I allow my heart to be hearted. I never get to the point where I become callous. I want all the feels, God. I want to invite you. Could you raise your hands tonight? I want to pray with you. My hands are raised as well to say, God, protect my heart. Holy Spirit, we thank you. That you're not a distant God, but you live in each and every one of us. God, we thank you that you don't just die for us, but you do life with us. Holy Spirit, I pray, Lord, for every heart that has become callous, every heart that has become guarded towards you and towards people, I pray right now that you begin to rip away those dead areas, that you begin to break down every wall that has gotten in the way of me sensing and feeling and hearing you. Holy Spirit, I pray that the next time that I'm tempted to be so self-centered that I don't see people, or the next time that I'm tempted to, to X somebody out of my life because it's too painful, that you would remind me that you've never done that to me, that you would remind me that you have felt everything towards me, that you love me and you never give up on me. God, I pray, Lord, that we would make the decision every day to protect our ability to hear from you, to protect our ability to sense you and to feel you. And God, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. We thank you that you don't just save us, but you use us. Come on, sing this out tonight. Thanks for listening to today's message. If you would like to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus today, visit us online at www.theharborli.com backslash next step.